Don Mockles, and you're listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 130, for the week of June 29th, 2022. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, June 29th, the moon is new, and you will not be able to find it because it's between us and the sun. It passes, actually, just north of the sun. On the evening of the 29th, from the Western Hemisphere, you might be able to see it shortly after sunset, setting less than an hour after the sun. It will be a very slim crescent. The next evening, Thursday, June 30th, it will be more easily visible in the western sky. By next Tuesday, July 5th, the moon will be in the constellation Virgo, about 40% full and setting around midnight. This would be a good week to image the moon through a small telescope each night. Your cell phone can do the job. You can use these still images and then make a montage of them. Or do what I did a few years ago. I made some video clips each night of the moon through my telescope. The telescope was fixed. It did not have a clock drive and did not follow the motion of the moon. Instead, the moon drifted through the field of view. The camera was on a tripod aimed through the telescope eyepiece. Now the whole moon was too large to fit in the field of view. So I shot several swaths of moon, beginning at the north, and then on the next sweep a little bit lower, and so on. This gave me a good set of images of the moon under various lighting conditions. This is a fun project requiring very little investment of time. Our five planets still grace the morning sky? But the most difficult of the five to see is Mercury. It is getting brighter each morning, but it's also getting closer to the sun as seen from the Earth. On June 16th, it peaked at 23 degrees from the sun. By the end of this week, it will be only 13 degrees from the sun. Meanwhile, Venus, the brightest planet of the bunch, will soon be slowly headed back towards the sun. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week? Which, for our purposes, begins Wednesday, June 29th through Tuesday, July 5th? It depends upon where you are located. This is how I make up this segment of the podcast, and I've been doing it this way since day one. I go to heavens-above.com and look for the International Space Station activity for the upcoming week. I begin with where I live, Stargazer, Arizona. 
and I write down a summary onto a spreadsheet such as AM all week, which means it's in the morning sky for the whole week, or PM beginning July 3rd, which means you won't see anything until July 3rd, and then it will be in the evening sky. Then on heavens-above.com, I changed my observing site to 27 more locations around the world, all at different latitudes. When I'm done putting all that information onto the spreadsheet, I then sort the spreadsheet by latitude, and I group the locations as to which will see it in the morning sky, which will see it in their evening sky, and which will not see it at all that week. So, this week, we have five zones. All you need to know is your latitude. Three zones will not see the ISS this week. North of 58 degrees north and south of 58 degrees south, you will not see it. And in the equatorial region, from 33 degrees south through 25 degrees north, the ISS will not be in your skies. Now, north of that area, from 25 degrees north through 58 degrees north, the ISS will be in your morning sky for at least part of this week. So, in the United States, during the 4th of July fireworks, don't sit around waiting for the ISS to show up. And if you don't live in the United States, don't wait around on the 4th of July for fireworks. It just isn't going to happen. Finally, between 58 and 33 degrees south, the ISS will be in your evening sky for at least part of the week. To determine where you can see it, go to the website heavens-above.com, enter your location, then click on ISS. Comet 2017 K2 Panstars is in our evening sky, 260 million miles from both us and the sun. That's 415 million kilometers. The comet shines at magnitude 8.5, and you might even be able to see it in binoculars now before the moon gets too bright in our evening sky. It is labeled on podcast 130, map 1. For a more detailed map, go to the heavens-above.com website and click on Comets. Each week, I discuss astronomical events and suggest you go out and look at them. How important is it that you go and look at it tonight? What if your sky is cloudy or you've got something else to do? Can you see it tomorrow night or next week? Probably the most critical is a total solar eclipse. You not only have to be on time, but at the right place. A total solar eclipse, where the moon passes in front of the sun, occurs only once or twice per year, and they last less than eight minutes, often only two to four minutes. In addition, the path of the totality is typically less than 100 miles wide. So you have to be at the right place at the right time. Astronomers know well in advance when and where the next total eclipse will be 
And some astronomers go to great lengths to make sure they are there to see it. For instance, on April 8, 2024, less than two years from now, a total solar eclipse will be visible from southern U.S. Make your plans now. A partial solar eclipse is the consolation prize for those not able to get to the path of totality. Now, the moment of the maximum partial phase is predicted for any particular location, and it would be good to be watching near that time. The partial phase beginning to end lasts a couple of hours. A lunar eclipse can be seen by whomever can see the moon, which is half the Earth. The eclipse occurs slowly, and the total phase can last as long as an hour. But as the moon moves through the Earth's shadow, it does undergo subtle changes, so most astronomers watch the whole total phase. What about meteor showers? We can predict when the peak of the meteor shower will be, usually a certain date and time. But some meteor showers have a very sharp peak, so be there at that time or miss it. Others have a broad peak, and the number of meteors will not vary much over the course of a few nights. Satellites? Well, you can get satellite predictions from heavens-above.com, and it will tell you the time of a passage of a satellite, such as the International Space Station. You had better be out there to see it at the predicted time. You can't be late for satellites. What about the opposition of a planet? This December 8th, in less than six months, Mars will be at opposition, and at around the same time it will be closest to us. This is something that occurs every 2.2 years. Astronomers know the exact time of these events, but you don't have to be watching at that time. It will be good for a few weeks on either side of the opposition date. Now, the one exception for planetary oppositions is Saturn, whose rings show an increase in brightness for a few days around opposition. As for comets, you'll sometimes hear that a comet is closest to the Earth on such and such a date. Now, typically, that distance is in tens of millions of miles, so you don't need to see it that night. You have a week or two to take advantage of its passage by us. The exception is when a comet will pass less than four or five million miles away, which is rare. Then you will want to see it that night. The same applies when a comet makes a close approach to the sun, which is known as perihelion. Often that is tens of millions of miles from the sun, so the days make little difference. Now, planetary alignments are somewhat time-sensitive. Those five planets in our morning sky have been there for several weeks. And we have a few more days until Mercury disappears into the solar glare, and then we'll be down to four planets. Such an alignment is rare. To have all five bright planets in the same sky and in order, I hope you've been able to see them... <laughs> This will not repeat again for a long time. For other planetary alignments, better get out there within a night or two of prediction. 
The same with a comet moving past a star cluster or bright star. Try to get out there that night, or you might miss it. What about an occultation when the moon passes in front of a star or planet? You do have to be at the right place and time, much like with a total solar eclipse. But for an occultation, the path is wide, perhaps 2,000 miles wide. Another type of occultation is when an asteroid passes in front of a star. For that, the eclipse path is narrow, tens of miles wide. And yes, you must be there on time. Seeing the thin crescent moon in the morning or evening twilight requires you to be on time. The moon must be high enough to be above the haze and your local horizon. And yet the sky must be dark enough so you can see the moon. A nova in our galaxy or a supernova in another galaxy will usually stay at peak brightness for a few days or even weeks. So you do have time for getting out to see those. Meanwhile, double stars, stars, clusters, nebula, and galaxies do not change much from night to night. So you can get out and see them anytime. Here on Looking Up with Don, we are aware of the moon phase, and I will seldom send you out to pick up a galaxy or cluster when we have a bright moon in the sky. I think I've covered just about everything. As I said, for some events, it's important to be there on time or you'll miss it. For others, you do have a little bit of time. Our telescopic challenge for this week is to look at the ring nebula in the constellation Lyra. It's also known as M57. It's what's known as a planetary nebula. And planetary nebulas are not related to planets. But they're called planetary nebula because in a small telescope, some of them look like planets. This one is plotted on podcast 130, maps 1 and 2. And it is between two of the brightest stars in the constellation Lyra. Now, the nebula is small, about 1 by 1.5 arc minutes in size, a bit larger than Jupiter as seen from Earth. It is so small that when I began looking for it in 1966, with my 2-inch refractor at 40 power, I missed seeing it for the first two nights because I was looking for something larger. I was in the right area. I had it in the field of view. But I thought, no, that's, that's just a star. Actually, it wasn't. Finally, on the third night, I noticed the small out-of-focus star, and that was it. The nebula was caused when a star let out a lot of dust and gas about 20,000 years ago. It made this smoke ring looking something like a donut. Hmm, donuts. It looks like a bright ring with a dark center. But if you look closely, you'll see that the dark center is not completely dark. It's slightly brighter than the sky outside the ring. Note that it is not exactly round, but somewhat 
oblong. The Ring Nebula is about 1,400 light-years away and around magnitude 8. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? Last call to see all five bright planets in our morning sky. Photograph or video the moon each night this week and get out to see the Ring Nebula. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 130 for the week of June 29th, 2022. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com, two H's. You can contact me at donthestronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that is donthestronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. I will discuss the discovery of my seventh comet on July 6, 1994. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.